0: Hi everyone, I'm Carol Wang. Welcome to a special season of Health 101. We're focusing these episodes on what the COVID-19 pandemic has wrought to our health, emotionally, physically, and mentally. And while we're addressing the effects this has had on physicians and their healthcare colleagues, we know these themes are universal. So if you recognize yourself or someone you love in our conversations, we urge you to seek help for yourself or for them. I'll have more resources at the end of the show. And a quick note of gratitude to the Copic Foundation for making this version of Health 101 possible. If you have been feeling exhausted, even though you get plenty of sleep, if you just feel like, I cannot do another day, or that my soul is being sucked out of my body... The COVID-19 pandemic has done a lot of things for a lot of people and across the board, I think there is this general feeling of not being well, whether it's COVID fatigue, whether it's burnout, whatever you want to call it. I think all of us can relate to some level of just being exhausted. And so we want to then take that to the level of physicians because even nationwide, we knew before the COVID pandemic hit that we had a physician burnout problem in the United States and probably across the world. But let's talk about the United States because that's our area of, wh- of who we know what we know. Um, and I don't imagine that. The pandemic has done us any favors in that realm. And so I have two people who I think are really great to have this conversation with. I've been dying to talk to them about it. And it is Dr. Chelsea Chesson, who is a psychiatrist who treats a lot of physicians. I mean, a lot of physicians <laughs> on burnout and depression and mental health issues. And then Dr. Joanne Schaefer, who is a family medicine doctor, but who is so much more than that. She is a mentor and she's a coach. She's a cheerleader to so many physicians. And I know that she has given wise counsel. She's also part of this LifeBridge program at Nebraska Medical Association, which helps with mentoring for burnout. So they both bring a wealth of knowledge and experience to this discussion. And so, ladies, tell me what you are seeing, especially because the three of us had lots of conversations before about burnout in the years before 2019 and 2020. And now, 2021 and on, what happened?
1: <laughs> Joanne, you want to take this?
2: <laughs> oh my goodness. So, oh. yeah, a lot is going on. And, you know, I always feel like I need to say first of all, it's not you, it's the system. So, you know, healthcare has a lot of problems. And I think physicians, you know, might want to blame themselves sometimes, but I hope they don't. Um, they're working in a broken system that has a lot of challenges. And we're healers by nature. And there's a lot going on, and we, you know, self-sacrifice to the point um, sometimes that it's detrimental to our own health. And so I always feel like I have to say that first. Um, there are, it's multifactorial about what leads us into that place of burnout, uh, but it's not a lack of resiliency um, when you can't yoga your way out of it. Um, you can do a lot of stuff to protect yourself and a lot of stuff to, you know, keep your resilience high, but you're working in a system that's not set up for you um, to succeed sometimes, and um, there's a lot going on, and there's a lot to unpack here. So I, th- I said a good introductory <laughs> there, um, but I'm going to turn it over to the expert here oh. in all things mental health.
1: Well, to- totally agree with everything you just said. Uh, could, not, could not agree more, 1,000%. Um, you know, One of the things that I always think is so fascinating about doctors – um, aside from the fact that we're uh, just basically fundamentally overachieving people pleasers <laughs> <laughs> by nature, um, is that uh, you know we are pre-chosen. You know, th- how how do you become a doctor? Well, part of the way you get into be uh, being a doctor, going getting into medical school, is by demonstrating that pretty much your whole life up until that point, you've spent in the service of others um, that you've, sac- you know, sacrificed, uh, um, you know, you're, you're in it for the long game, you know, and that there's like nothing you wouldn't do to succeed. You know, you you just got to achieve, achieve, achieve and do better and work harder and put more into it than anyone else. And then you end up in medical school and everybody's like that. Every single person is like that. And they're, this is who, you know, become doctors. These are the kinds of people. Then you put these people into situations that are pretty much, um, you know, set up for failure <laughs> yeah. from the start. Even though obviously that's no one's intention. Um, You know, the intention, of course, I think whether you're talking about a hospital or a clinic or a health insurance company or uh, pharmaceutical companies, whoever it might be, you know, the intention, of course, is to try to help people, to help, you know, alleviate suffering, make people healthier, feel better, uh, live longer, stronger, better. Um, Unfortunately, you know, the system, like you said, is just horribly horribly broken and at least from a psychiatry perspective you know i can say on the mental health or behavioral health side of things you know we are chronically underfunded um under uh uh, staffed uh there's just a shortage of mental health providers at pretty much every level of training um and what you know what ends up happening is that um When something like, say, COVID comes along, you know, you've got an already overwhelmed system, kind of like Carol was saying at the beginning, you've got this already overwhelmed system that then has uh, this incredibly emotionally, you know, fear-driven, I mean, I think we were all scared to death, I know I was, Um, you know, you're afraid, you feel like a sitting duck. Uh, you, you have to keep going to work or trying to go to work and trying to help. And yet, you know, you're putting yourself and your family at risk. So it's like, you've already got this broken system and then you throw this on top of it. And then you lose a bunch of people you care about, either in your family or people that you work with. Um, depending on what kind of medicine you're practicing, you may end up literally, you know, during this whole COVID thing, you might've ended up with your office closed, and no income for, you know, six months. Um, you know, people think doctors have plenty of money. Well, you know, this has been a pretty hard year for a lot of people. Um, I, I think, you know, our jobs as doctors are, you know, to do the best we can. We always think that way. We're problem solvers by heart. We think that we should be able to do more. We, we still have this idea in our head that, like, it's somehow up to us to fix the problem, to find a way, you know, to think outside the box, to do more. Um, And, you know, the problem is ultimately, and I say this a lot in my practice to my patients, regardless of what kind of work they do, you know, we are ultimately only human. And we have limits. And when those limits are reached, uh, things break, you know, our bodies break down. And, I mean, there's all kinds of great research, right, about stress and immune, you know, system function and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it doesn't take a genius to figure out that if you overwhelm a person and you just give them way too much on their plate, at some point they're not going to be able to do anything. They're not going to be able to do it all. There's something that's going to give. Something's got to give. And the question becomes what happens to doctors when they're the person that's overwhelmed. Um, and I love what, Joanne, what you said about, you know, that it's not like a problem of, you know, you're not resilient enough. Or I think most doctors, you know, feel like they're failures. Um, they're often told they're failures by um, management or um, people who don't understand uh, the system in which they work, you um, you know they're told they need to do more, work harder, reorganize, be more efficient. Uh, you know, switch to a different EMR system or whatever it might be. You know, they just need to do something different. Um, you know, at some point you've done everything you can do and you're you're done. Your your resources are gone, and at that point you need to be able to. Um, Literally, take a break. You need to be able to take a break for self care, and because if you can't take care of yourself, you can't take care of other people. And I think there's a tremendous amount of stigma and shame for doctors when they get to that place. Uh, it is not easy for most people. I mean, just average Joe schmo. You no, know, not not easy to like reach out for help. But I think when you're a physician, there's this extra like obstacle internal psychological obstacle like I'm the one who's supposed to be helping these people. I've heard doctors say a million times that, that are patients of mine and I've said this myself that if my patients knew today how badly I'm doing they would run. <laughs> they would run because they wouldn't want to be, they wouldn't want to think to themselves, wow my doctor's struggling that much? You know, I mean we, we learned to hide it really well. So I just think like uh, we need, one of the things we need to do as physicians is we need, and this is something I think Joanne and I both really believe and have been trying to do and ourselves is that we both need to be, uh, we all need to be more helpful to each other. We've got to back each other up and we've got to take care of each other Um, because no one else is going to take care of us. We have to take care of us. So that, that, that's my, my general spiel, I guess.
0: You're seeing a huge increase in doctors seeking out services Absolutely. post-pandemic, right?
1: Absolutely. I'm seeing, on average, three new physicians a week in my office um, as an outpatient solo psychiatrist. Three physicians a week. And <laughs>
0: how... It takes an inordinate amount for them to get to the point to show up at your door.
1: Yes. Most of them, um, okay, so let's, let's get real, okay? Most of them have um, talked with colleagues. Um, if they are primary care docs, which a lot of them are, um, they've probably already dabbled um, in self-treatment, <laughs> which is something that I think physicians do uh, all the time. I would say it's the norm, not the exception. So by the time somebody, you know, actually goes to another doctor for care, um, they've already tried some stuff that didn't work or um, they feel was not helpful enough. Um, so, uh, yeah, they they sh- when they show up um, at my office, they're usually, um, at that point, kind of beyond what I would call, like, burnout. I mean, burnout, I think, has, has kind of its own, like... Uh, certain, certain presentation. And I do see some people who present with burnout specifically, but by the time most of these folks come to me, they're, um, they're in much deeper trouble. They're suicidal. Um, they're suffering from severe mood episode or, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, especially from COVID, um, seen many many doctors who have just like the the vast number of patients that they have like coded and lost um little kids babies you know but just bad bad stuff with COVID um I think you know that takes a toll on people and especially for those docs who you know are truly people we would say were on the front line when COVID first started and before we even really knew what it was. I think that the toll that it took on them um, is something that we will be studying, literally studying for years to come, because I don't think that there's ever been anything quite like it Um, historically. I mean, I know we talk about the Spanish flu of 1918, things like that, but I mean, it's different. uh, It is different. It is different. So uh, we, we also, you know, have all of the political uh, crud that I think really got in the way of science and getting a clear message out about what needed to be done to get the pandemic under control and to protect people. And I think that is just a shame. Um, and I still am dealing with that, even in my office right now. I have patients who... Um, want to come in to see me in my office but have refused vaccination and my office policy is that if you have not been vaccinated then you can't come physically to the office period and you would not believe the amount of backlash that I get from that um, from certain groups of people so um, I think like COVID brought a whole new set of issues but yeah doctors you know doctors are just as likely to get sick from a mentally ill standpoint as any other group of people, um, if not more. Um, and suicide in doctors is a whole separate, you know, can of worms that I'm always happy to talk about. Uh, that sounded bad. I'm never happy to talk about it, but I, I do talk about it a lot. Um, it is an epidemic. We lose about 400 physicians in the United States a year to suicide, which is like an entire medical school class, uh, medical school's worth of med students a year. Um, And the thing about doctors, you know, when they're suicidal is that they don't attempt by methods that are not lethal. When they uh, make a decision, when a physician makes a decision to kill him or herself, they are almost 100% successful in doing so. So... Um, So suicide prevention in physicians is a huge focus for me personally and in my practice, Um, and I think it's pertinent to this conversation simply because burnout is usually present for uh, folks as a contributor before they end up in deeper waters, if that makes sense.
0: It completely makes sense. Okay. So when they come to you, Joanne, they're usually – They're not ready yet to go for full-fledged help, but they want, they talk out a lot of things with you.
2: Yeah. So, you know, working way upstream, um, with the LifeBridge program, what we're trying to do is make it the norm that physicians early in their career or at any time in their career, when they hit snags, when they hit bumps in the road, that they reach out and talk to another physician, um, So they're not waiting for the six weeks of sleepless nights when they get their first lawsuit, when they get their first complaint through the Board of Medicine or Investigations Department of DHHS. They're, you know, they're hitting a rough patch with um, the teenager at home and the dying parents at the same time, and they're sandwiched. And they're worried about it affecting their practice, and they don't feel like they're Uh, They're having depression or anxiety clinically, but they're just feeling overwhelmed and, you know, they've got a change of bosses or, you know, all these things are just pushing in on them and they need, they just feel like they need to talk to another physician about what is it that you do when you hit this stage of life where it's all crashing and they just need a refresh Um, and they're, they're just questioning, do I need to change a job? Do I want to change a job? Is this really what I want to do? Um, and they have these questions, um, particularly as it pertains to like, this is the first time I've ever had a lawsuit or the first time I've had a complaint. And that is so unnerving and they, they may have a professional coach. They may have someone, but it's, there's nothing like talking to another physician who understands the path you've walked to get there and how, terrifying some of that stuff is and just to be able to reach out and talk to someone so again we're working way upstream so that we can really help a physician before they start spiraling in their thought uh, process and let this stuff build because I think we, those of us who've been around the block a time or two, we know how stressful that stuff is and how isolating it can feel. And before you know it, you're dateline thinking, and you're, you're getting to the worst-case scenario of everything. And if you can just walk somebody back, and sometimes it means, you know what, I think it would be really great for you to talk and get some mental health counseling, but a lot of times it's just helping somebody – you know, walk through the process. Tell them what's real, what's not real, um, in terms of the process and what they can do with their career. And you know, it, it's just helping them see, um, you know, what's what's going on, and answer basic questions and identify the stressors that they're having, and talk to them about their career path and what it is that they want to do, what they hope to do. But it's normalizing those those um, conversations, um, and making it free, accessible, you know, on demand, and I think that's key, and we hope that that, making that available to physicians early on, and again, at any stage of your career, will help stop, you know, anything progressing forward, um, because, you know, at any given moment, you can have a lot of stressors in your life. And the beginnings of burnout are usually, you know, cynical, sarcastic, um, lack of, you know, empathy for your patients, what's this all worth, you know, sort of those things coming down. And if you're starting to question those things and they're showing up in your day, and then you have one other stressor come on top of that, you know, it, it can be something that just starts to spiral you. And so if you have a good mentor, a physician who's walked that path before, who can remind you of... You know, all the great talent you have, all the great things you've done, other things, other challenges you've gotten through in the past, remind you of those things, and then help sort you out with a referral if you need it. Um, That can be a big help to physicians. When we talk about burnout, the sarcasm,
0: the cynicism, those are very, I don't know, normalized, I think, in the physician world. So how do you differentiate that you are just being you Or you are being a burned out version of you.
2: (laughs) Well, I think there's a spectrum. First of all, and I think you you know if you have all all of it all the time, and it's it's in combination with that exhaustion that's ever present, and you you know you're starting to question why you even go to work every day and that kind of stuff. I mean, Chelsea, you would agree. I mean, there's a spectrum of it. Then there is certainly some of it that's normal, but you know when it's starting to impede your happiness level and and i guess what i would say too is when you talk to someone and you say well how happy are you with it? how satisfied are you with what what's going on in your life right now and your practice and and everything how happy are you are you are you happy are you satisfied and is it everything you thought it would be and if there's a gap in between what they were thinking it would be and where they're at right now do they want to fix that gap because if they don't want to fix that gap, then why are we talking? But if they want to fix that gap, then it's going to take some, you know, action on their part and some, some things that we have to do to correct the gap between what they wanted and where they're at. And we can do that, but it, it's a partnership <laughs> from a coaching perspective and a mentor perspective. I'm not talking about mental health. Um, I'm just talking about plain old mentoring and coaching.
1: Well, I I would agree with that. And I I would say, you know, one of the other questions that I hear people asking themselves, doctors asking themselves a lot is, you know, would I do this all over again if I had the choice? Like if I were, you know, sophomore in college again, you know, would I do the pre-med thing? Would I actually do it? And it's amazing to me how many doctors I talk to. And granted, it's a biased, it's a biased slice, Okay. (laughs) they they're, you know, I'm seeing folks who are really struggling hard, but most of them say no, most of them say, no, they wouldn't do it. Um, and again, and I think that's a shame. I think that's really sad uh, because to me, you know, I, I guess somehow um, I've managed to uh, dodge that that feeling of regret. I, like, I still love being a doctor. I still love what I do every day. I can't say that I look forward to going to work every single day. I mean, I'm not going to lie. But, um, but I, I'm not bored at work, and I don't feel like at the end of the day, you know, wow, that was just a waste of time. Um, I think when I see people who are really struggling with true burnout, it's usually because of something that is pretty obvious, I mean, when you start talking with them, you know. And Joanne, I'd be interested in what you think of this, but you know, it's like, uh, well, uh, I I work I work all day. I, I work from seven to three thirty seeing patients, and then um, I rush to go get my kids, and then I rush home and I make dinner, and then as soon as I put my kids to bed, then I do my charting for the day, and I chart for. F- three hours or so and then I'm exhausted and I go to bed I don't have any time with my spouse Um, I used to uh, play club volleyball but I had to give that up because of this new EMR system we got at work and now I have to chart and it takes me so long to chart and then like I get in trouble at work because I'm late with my charting and now they're going to start finding me and it's like as soon as you start hearing the story, and it's like I've heard the story so many times, right, then um, basically the message to the doctor is you're a bad doctor. You're a bad doctor. Shame on you. Um, and I think for most doctors, they kind of feel like, you know what, I've gone through a lot of you-know-what to get here. I've worked my butt off. I have had good intentions. I've done everything I could the right way. I've, you know, I've done everything that everyone's asked of me. And now somebody is telling me I'm a bad doctor because I'm a day behind on charting because I wanted to go to my kid's soccer game. That is, you know, classic, like, okay, this is a systems problem Burnout is inevitable here. This is not a sustainable situation. If this continues, this doctor is not going to be able to function well in this environment. And the worst part about that, I think, I wish more management people would be listening to a podcast like this, but, you know, the worst part about it is that it affects patient care. Patients get worse care when their doctor's burned out. And... You know when doctors aren't happy, when their morale is low, or and that goes for nurses and every every other healthcare you know provider. Um, you know when morale is low, or when you feel like you're not valued, or when you feel like you're actively devalued, or being you know told bad girl, bad boy. You know that really affects how much you want to do the job, and it affects how well you do the job. Would you agree with that? Oh,
2: the, I think the science is clear on that. Yeah, more mistakes happen.
1: Yep, and I think it's it's harder to um, it, it's harder to um, make changes in those systems of care where these things happen um partly because almost everybody if you if you were to like get the whole group together right and you ask them they'd all be doing the same thing they're all doing the same thing they're all charting you know for three hours a night at home but the problem is none of them have any time to talk at work none of them communicate they feel isolated because they're so busy, right, they're so busy, revenue production, revenue production, so produce, 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 they don't ever get to just like, you know, hang out in the doctor's lounge, like in the old days, I, I can remember going to the hospital with my dad, and who was a doctor, and hanging out in the doctor's lounge, there'd be a bunch of doctors sitting around talking, shooting, you know, just shooting stories, and that just doesn't happen anymore, because there is no free time, I mean, most doctors don't even take lunch, you know, they don't take lunch for themselves, they don't They don't, I mean, I've talked to doctors who literally like say, I did not pee all day. Like I literally did not go to the bathroom all day. I did not have time. And I've said to them like, that is not okay. (laughs) That's not okay. Everybody needs to go to the bathroom. Like, right. You know, basic
0: needs. Like it's now to the very basic food, water, bathroom.
1: Yes. But that's like how, that's the mindset. That's the mindset in some places. In, some, in, a, in a lot of places where people work. A lot of places where doctors work. And I, I'm, I'm just saying, I've heard this so many times. Um, I, I think to myself, how did it get this way? You know, how did we get to this place? Because this isn't, this isn't what anyone wants. And um, I just think the pressure is so enormous, you know, on the individual physician to somehow figure this stuff out for themselves, when really it's something that needs to be looked at from a reorganizational standpoint, you know, where uh, doctors are looked at as, you know, assets that need support. <laughs> Some places that it, that is the case. <laughs> yes, but unfortunately, not all. No. And
0: if it's such a systemic problem, because the stories and anecdotes, do you just say, I've heard, doctors tell me similar things. Mm-hmm. And if it's broken system-wide, then what is the hope for recovery from burnout? How do you, you know, are you just patching yourself together so that you have episodes in between? I mean, I don't even know how you think about it in that terms then.
2: Well, I think I think systems that do focus on improving information technology. They look at the EMR as a team member. And when the EMR is not performing up to snuff, they get on it and they take the feedback and they get the EMR working better with, um, you know, they treat it as a team member. And so the, the EMR needs to perform better and and be uh, responsive and customizable and take the input input from the physicians and get it working correctly they that does exist it doesn't exist everywhere but where it does you know it can decrease pajama time because that should not be happening physicians should not go home and chart um they need rest and recovery um just like every other profession that that is just not normal it's not okay um Clinics and systems that recognize that it is in their best interest to take care of the physicians and make sure they're having rest and recovery will perform better. And I don't know what it's going to take for them to realize that, um, but the time is now. We're coming, well, hopefully out of a pandemic. Um, hopefully, the fall and winter will not be as severe as it was in the past. Um. But you know, we have to do a better job of, of of taking care of the physicians. There are many, many systemic issues um, that have to be fixed, and you cannot eat an elephant all at once. It's one <laughs> bite at a time. Um, so it it starts there, and then you know, for physicians, you know, one of again with understanding how satisfied you are, and then trying to correct the gap and and doing things to pro, you know to help yourself. I feel compelled to always make sure that they understand, like understand the value of living beneath your means, understand what it means to know your, you know, your financial situation and know what your net worth is, know what your monthly income is, What how, how much your expensive cost and know what your, know your value and know, you know, what your walk away is, Understand that you are not pinned to a job. Understand that you can change and you can pivot. Um, I, I just always feel like they have to know that, and I, and I do talk about that with with people that I coach. Make sure that they know that there you have it's one lifetime. It's not a dress rehearsal. You are allowed to change, and you are allowed to change places where you work. Um, and you're allowed to change your careers. You know there are lots of jobs in medicine that that you don't have to be in the job that you're currently in. So if you are not happy, reevaluate where you're at, reevaluate evaluate your financial situation. Make sure you have a good financial advisor and know what you're doing um, to take care of yourself and your family um, appropriately. Um, but don't stay where you're not valued. And That's, I think, a hard thing because it's that dual, you know, it's
0: the double-edged sword. We want great physicians to be treating patients, and we want them to, but we also realize that if they're unhappy, the biggest factor for change could be them being willing to leave.
1: And I think that happens a lot. (laughs) I think that happens a lot. Um, I think if you look at a lot of physicians, uh, you know, curriculum vita uh you know where they've worked uh you can tell uh that certain people or certain groups have, have left and mass you know even yeah. from certain places um at times um, which does send a very strong message obviously to the higher ups i guess one thing that i wish um you know this this is on my wish list like you know for world peace too, um, is that I, I would really like to see more, um, clinics, hospitals, et cetera, uh, the places, um, where care is being delivered. I would like to see them owned by, uh, managed by physicians. Um, and I, I know, you know, we talked about this a lot, physician leadership and things, um, you know, I, uh, I, I have my own little tiny solo practice, and I always joke that, you know, if I don't like my boss, then I'm really screwed because <laughs> it's me. Um, so, you know, I, uh, she, she's really tough to answer to, you know. <laughs> she's very hard on me. Um, but I, I think that, you know, uh, this, uh, this idea, we, when we come out of medical school and we go through residency today, regardless of specialty, I think that we are kind of lulled into this sense uh, and this belief that we need to be owned by someone, that when we finish our training, we need to go get a job and work for someone else, be owned, I, that's what I call it, you're owned, um, be owned by, you know, a big, a big group, and again, I, that's what I did when I finished When I finished my residency, I stayed in academics and uh, I stayed at the University of Arizona for several years. And, uh, you know, and uh, I felt like that's what I needed to do for me. Obviously, every doctor has to do what they need to do for themselves. But I think this idea that somehow you're going to spend your entire career owned by a company, um, whether that's a not-for-profit company or... um, a company that's, um, you know, rapidly expanding across the United States and buying up more and more hospitals and doctors and, you know, I mean, that is, uh, I think, a mistake. We do, we do not have to do that um, as doctors. We should be the ones who are making decisions about, you know, how things are run. We should be the ones opening hospitals, running hospitals, uh, running clinics, uh, those kinds of things because we're the ones who know uh, how to do it, and best, and, um, you know, I think we have this idea somehow that, you know, we're not financially literate, we're not literate in business, um, and we need, you know, business people to do that for us, Um, and I think that gets us into trouble, because then um, things become about metrics, you know, and, uh, how, you know, how long your triage nurse was on the phone with each patient that day, and boy, you know, we need to get that time down, um, or how long it took you to do all of your refills that day, you know, well, geez, you know, we, we clocked you on, um, on the computer, and, you know, it took you 75 minutes to do all your refills that day. Um, it should only take you 20 minutes to do all your refills. I mean, you know, I guess my point being, It becomes about things that are not necessarily pertinent to patient care. And I think that, you know, if there are more doctors and leadership positions um, in systems of care, and I think also that goes for the insurance industry um, and the pharmaceutical industry, um, I think, you know, we'd be better off. Uh, I'll just say that. I'll put it out there.
2: Agree.
0: So, while we have to slowly evolve systems to better respond to this, how do you respond to your colleague, your friend, who is struggling? How do you recognize it in themsel- in them? How do you approach it? How do you help them? Um, because I think sometimes at the very end of the day, it's doctor's taking care of doctors because the other stuff's not taking care of you?
1: I mean, I think a lot of times what uh, when I was working with a lot of other doctors, like, face-to-face all day, um, I, I think I, whether it's good or bad, I would notice, you know, if I felt like a, a colleague was struggling. And um, certainly being an academics, I think you get very used to evaluating people, because you're, you're constantly supervising, you know, people that are learning, so uh, if I felt like, you know, a colleague of mine was really struggling, or seemed like, you know, not themselves, burned out, stressed out, you know, I, I would definitely be the one that would be like, hey, you know, can, you want to go get coffee Saturday, or something, you know, or, uh, and, and I would just say, I I guess I'd just be real honest with them and say, you know, I just, I've just noticed you're just not you. And I'm worried about you. You know, I care about you. And I, um, I just want to know what's going on. You know, Um, being a psychiatrist, I can get away with that a lot of times. So, you know, (laughs) I admit it, I take advantage of that. Um, But I I also think that, you know, most doctors are dying, dying to talk to somebody, they're dying to, to tell somebody, and especially like Joanne brought up the the, the situations of like being sued for malpractice for the first time or having a complaint made against your license or, um, you know, things like that. And, um, I, I think those kinds of situations are probably the most stressful things, you know, or having a really bad outcome.
2: Yeah. That's another think, one. Yeah. Yeah. Bad outcome.
1: bad outcome. Um, especially, you know, if it's a, if you're a procedural doctor, like a surgeon or, and you have a, you know, a bad situation, something bad goes down on the table. And, you know, even if it's, even if it doesn't make it to like, uh, you know, a lawsuit or m &M, you know, conference or something, like, you know, you had a bad outcome. And, And you know, it's
2: still disturbing.
1: Yep. And it still bothers you. And I, and I literally have diagnosed people with PTSD for that. Like, you know, like, they, they will literally have all, a spectrum uh meet all the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder based on that particular clinical experience that they had where they feel that they failed somehow and something bad happened Um, i think in those situations yes uh the person really does need to talk but then they also are told if, if it's a legal situation you know they're told immediately don't talk to anybody you know you can't tell anybody, Uh, you know, you, you're just, you know, if you tell somebody, then they're, you know, we, other side can subpoena them, and, you know, uh, know, you're going to screw yourself, Um, so I think, you know, that's one nice thing about being a psychiatrist, is that, you know, people come to talk to me, it's kind of like, you know, they're talking to their priest, or their rabbi, or something, it's like, they know that, like, they probably much have to, like, you know, put me on a rack or something, but you know, before I would like let out their secret, you know. But I think you know they're worried about talking to a friend about some of those things because they are so fearful. Um, when you feel like you know you're going to lose your your whole livelihood, your whole identity as a physician, when you are in fear of that being yanked away from you for a mistake or for something you know, that happened, that, you know, stuff happens. Um, That is a terrible feeling. And I think that is something that leads, frankly, uh, down a very quick path towards suicidal thinking for a lot of physicians, at least in my experience. Um, But definitely is a factor for burnout as well.
2: Yeah. And we don't take... Notes, we don't have any case files when we're mentoring on the yeah. LifeBridge program. It's not discoverable. There's nothing. It's just anonymous. Mm-hmm. So
1: call and talk. And I think it has to be. And, yep. Because otherwise it's just not realistically usable. Yes. Where is
0: the optimism in all this? Because this, you know, conversation, it it can feel very overwhelming and it can feel like, oh my gosh, you know,
2: where's the hope and where's the optimism that that there is change? Because we're going to work upstream and we're going to normalize these conversations. You're not alone and we're going to start talking about it. I think the not alone thing is really important
0: because I feel like, if you have a bad outcome, you internalize it, you lose sleep over it, you think about it 24-7 of what you could have done differently. You, you know, you, it, it plays like a bad film clip in your mind over and over again. If you are struggling because you are behind on your charts, you are just trying to figure out how to hunker down and get it done, and, and, and all of those activities require you to be less out, more in.
1: Yes. They're isolating.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think isolation is a huge thing for physicians, you know, because we're supposed to have it all together. We're, we're, we're supposed to be the ones that everyone else comes to, right, for all the answers or all the wisdom. And uh, We're not supposed to have, you know, problems of our own. We're not supposed to need help. I mean, that's literally what we're taught, I think. And, yep. you know, we're, we're taught that if you ask for help or you need help, you... Well, I, I can tell you. I mean, I remember when, when I was in academia, you know, we used to, I would hear colleagues talk about residents who asked for help a lot as being needy. Uh, if they were women, they were divas. Um, you know, if they were men, they were whiners. Um, you know, there was a, there's a culture of, you know, like, you, you know, fix your own stuff. Like, yeah. don't bring that here. Yeah. Like, we don't need that here. Like, Don't have be, drama. Right. Be a big girl. You know, put your big girl panties on and yeah. go to work. You know, there's no crying in the OR, you know, whatever. Right. Uh, I mean, I've heard all these things, right? But I think what Joanne's talking about is really, I, I think what you're talking about is shifting culture, shifting, yep. changing the culture of medicine. Yep. That is no small thing. That right. is a big thing. Right. And there That's, are a lot of
2: people that are working on that uh, right. across the nation. It's like, we got to start talking about this stuff. It's hard. And, well, it, and you've got to reach out for help. And I think it needs to be okay
0: to say, I'm not okay. Right. Right. Absolutely. You know, as opposed to doing fine, hanging in there. Right. <laughs> Just trying to get through my cases.
1: Uh, well, I can remember once I had a supervisor when I was a resident doc. I had a supervisor who said, hey, Chelsea, how you doing? And I said, you know what? If I thought you cared, I would tell you. I literally said that to him um, because he was known for being a guy who – really had no empathy whatsoever for anyone, and um, he literally just kept on going, walked on by, he didn't, he didn't care, you know, and everybody knew it, everybody knew it, I mean, most people probably wouldn't do that, Um, you know, I'm not recommending it to anybody, but, you know, sometimes just being brutally honest about, you know, what the situation is, is kind of freeing, you know, just be real, You know, if you are, if you're working in a place where you feel like no one cares about you, you know, talking about that with someone is probably going to be helpful. Not talking about it is just going to make you feel like, you know what, no one cares about me and nobody knows it. (laughs) You know, at least people know then that you're miserable. Being miserable all by yourself is usually not a good recipe for like, you know, success. (laughs) So we are talking about changing the culture of medicine, and that is not, you know, that is not a little thing. It's going to take time. I think for, you know, like we're talking about upstream, downstream. On the downstream stream end, I think what it means is, you know, really encouraging physicians to get aggressive treatment if they need it. Um, especially if it's for, like, something like substance abuse, which, of course, is um, something that's very common in physicians. Um, and, of course, we have access to all the good stuff. So, you know, that makes it really tough. Um, I think the optimism comes in, and I can definitely say this, uh, with, you know, very strong uh, certainty. And this is probably why I keep going back for more, is that people do get better. I have a lot of doctors that are patients of mine that have completely turned their lives around, completely. They've gotten sober if they were, you know, if they were an addict. Um, They've, uh, you know, gotten appropriate treatment. I mean, I think, you know, there's a lot of physicians that are bipolar spectrum. You know, I think those, uh, you know, those of us who did really well with, you know, crazy call hours and, you know, the less sleep we got, the more on top of things we were, you know. Well, we were all manic, you know? <laughs> um, you know. Unfortunately, it catches up after a while, and then you need treatment. So, you know, I think getting people appropriate treatment, they're so much better. They're just so much happier and healthier, and they're in a better position to make good choices about what kind of job they want, where to work, how much to work, you um, So I think, you know, there is like success, you know, people, and I think a lot of times making a job change is very useful for for some people. Um, You know, I I know that for a fact, Um, you know, sometimes people find out that, you know, a certain setting is just not a good setting for them to be working in for whatever reason and they need something different. So I think the optimism comes in, you know, when people do start talking getting mentoring, getting treatment if necessary, um, making themselves a priority, I think. Uh, That is really what I think where the optimism comes in because it's not all doom and gloom. It's only all doom and gloom, I think, if we keep it in the shadows and we keep pretending like we have something to be ashamed about because our lives aren't perfect and our jobs aren't perfect. I think as long as you know it's kind of like hidden we're not doing ourselves any favors
2: could not agree more okay <laughs> amen we have to normalize <laughs> this stuff man <laughs> i mean and the other thing i'd say to you know when i talk to physicians it's like what advice would you give to your best friend would you be talking to your best friend like this right now you know keep it all in keep it hidden soldier on keep going to work you know you <laughs> don't take a vacation don't take any time for yourself keep working don't eat yeah. Don't, don't go to the
1: bathroom you don't have right. time for lunch Chelsea. Yeah. you need to keep working right. Would you would you, you would you would be a horrible friend you would be a horrible friend
2: you would you tell that to your
0: adult child you, you would you wouldn't, wouldn't you wouldn't tell it to your parent you wouldn't tell it to your child would you, you wouldn't, you wouldn't tell it to anybody that's so, abusive yeah
1: actually so i was don't just gonna say to yourself. that's exactly what i say right. to a lot of people it's like okay you know when they tell me about their work situation i'll it, what it really comes down to a lot of times is that they are in an abusive relationship yep. with their employer. Their employer is exploiting them, degrading them, humiliating them, uh, you know, abusing them. And if you are in a situation like that, you know, it's very unlikely that your employer is going to change unless there is some miracle of leadership change um, or there's, you know, a really big group of people within that all feel the same, that have some kind of joint power as a group, you know, group, uh, I guess, group power uh, to to facilitate change. Otherwise, you know, it's not going to change. So you got to get out of that relationship because yep. that relationship will kill you. <laughs> right. Right. So So I think, I think the word abusive is not an overused, should not, that is a true, that's a good word. I feel like hopefully people
0: who hear this conversation are empowered.
1: Yes. I hope
0: so. To be themselves and to be genuine and to be real and to look at themselves and look at their lives and. Be honest if it's what they want and if it's not serving them, if it's not serving their patients, um, that this will give them the strength to look at it and be open and honest about it with those that they need to be. And I certainly hope it makes people think, even people who are, you know, those in power, who have the ability to make change on any level to say, are we part of the problem and what are we doing and how can we make this a little better, one bite at a time? Yep. Oh, you guys, thank you so much. It's been such a valuable conversation. Everyone, take care of yourselves. If you or someone you care about needs immediate help, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at one 800 273 8255. That's one eight hundred two seven three. 273 talk We also have more resources on our website, omahamedical.com, including an online assessment and options to access care for physicians in the region. Ahura Media Production.